Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookin brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is award-winning author Jim Ruland. He is the co-author of Do What You Want with Bad Religion and My Damage with Keith Morris. His new novel is Make It Stop, which is published by our friends at Rare Bird. Jim, welcome to the program. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's an honor to have you here, Jim. And um, a few things before we dive into your new book here. I have a couple of questions about your past books. Uh, at my Yeah, yeah. At my old store, uh, Quail Ridge Books in Raleigh, North Carolina, who still sponsors this podcast here, we sold out of the Bad Religion book quickly. Uh, we had signed copies and they were, brought, uh, they were bought out in a day or two. Uh, what was it like writing a book with them? A lot of folks don't know their intellectual backgrounds, I don't think. But I had a friend that had a copy of a college thesis that one of them wrote that he would march out every time I visited his house. Um, so what was it like working with Bad Religion? That was an incredible experience. I had a blast working with the band. They were they gave me all kinds of access. So I was able to hang out with them like before shows, after shows, um, at their homes, at their practice space, in the studio. I mean, it really was an all access kind of a deal. And so I got to not just talk to them, but, you know, in a controlled environment, but also just kind of be with them and see how they operate. And, uh, and there was never a time when they were like, uh, Jim, you need to leave now. You can't hear this uh, or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I love all kinds of punk rock. I especially love Southern California punk rock, but that experience even though it wasn't ideal because the book came out during the pandemic, you know, especially during the lockdown and the, and the lockdown summer, but bad religion fans are the best. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you so much. And how about Keith Morris, who was in black flag, the circle jerks and off. Uh, what was it like helping him collect and order his thoughts? Well, I mean, Keith is only a, a living legend of punk rock. Um, very, a very accessible and approachable guy, very smart and ethical person too. Mm. And anyone who's gone to see a, uh, see him perform knows he's also very opinionated and will share his thoughts on the news of the day, uh, in between songs. Mm. But, he, um, Keith, uh, I, I love the guy to death. Uh, he's, he's, a, I consider him a good friend and, um, I really love working with him. I was a little bit in awe the first few times. I was just like, I can't believe I'm sitting in Keith Morris's house listening to uh, his stories. Um, but, you know, I got to hear a lot of them and, uh, you know, helped him. Like you said, you know, you know, if you've ever heard Keith go on a rant on stage, he's not all that different off stage. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it was just kind of a matter of getting them all in the right order um, and making his voice come through. And, uh, and it was Keith who really uh, paved the way for um, that the third punk rock book that I did, my previous one, uh, Corporate Rock Sucks. Yeah. Because um, I never would have, you know, that was the rise and fall of SST Records, and I never would have had really the balls to tackle a project like that without Keith's um, blessing, first and foremost, but also his insight and 
you know, just for giving me the kick in the ass to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, shout out to my friend and former colleague, Matt Rydell in Raleigh, North Carolina, who um, read the hell out of that SST book and talked about it at every one of our uh, staff meetings every morning. So, <laughs> um, well, Jim, what do you think of this? Yeah, for sure. What do you think of this area uh, where music and literature overlap? Why are there so many um, aficionados of this area because there are there are folks out there that will read anything and everything uh about the music business well i mean i think um you know book publishing is a very antiquated model right you know i mean the way it was set down in the 19th century is pretty much the way things go now Mm -hmm. um especially when it comes to a printed and a bound book and you know, the, the people at publishing for years and years and years thought you had to be a megastar for anyone to be interested in what you had to say, right? Um, you had to be a Bruce Springsteen or a Donna Summer or or someone that had, you know, multiple, multiple hits and fans all over the world um, before publishing would deign to let you, you know, share your thoughts about that experience. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, in the early aughts, you know, with... Um, not so much the rise of indie publishing, but just desktop publishing and all the blogs where you had all these bands, you know, uh, were able to share more things with their fans and and realize that if they wrote things about their experience, their fans would just eat it up because that's what they are, they're fans. Mm. And, uh, and still, even after that, it took publishing a long time to kind of figure out that, you know, niche bands like Bad Religion, which maybe not a household name, maybe an offensive name to some still have really hardcore loyal fans all over the world and will will go see them every time they come to their town and will absolutely read the hell out of a book if they put it out mm. and uh, and i think it was really the no effects book which was briefly a um a new york times bestseller that kind of opened the publishing world eyes to like no effects this is like who are these guys and they're not even they're not black flag they're not one of the you know they're not the clash um you know i i would never recall them a joke band because you know they've got so many uh, great songs but a lot of people didn't didn't take them seriously outside of punk rock and here they are on the new york times bestseller list and it's all because of the fans and also shrewd marketing from you know uh from Fat Mike. So I think that really opened the door to a lot of people from uh, the 80s and the 90s to be able to, you know, publish books mm-hmm. and um in in a more mainstream way. Yeah, and I guess I run in circles where No Effects is just as much of a prominent band as these others that you mentioned because it doesn't surprise me at all. Um but very good, Jim. Um you and I met at the ABA, uh, American Bookseller Association's Winter Institute in Seattle a little while ago under some interesting circumstances. Um, I was happy to be introduced to you by our mutual friend, Eric Obanoff from the publisher $2 Radio, who um, was on this podcast's 100th episode, listeners, you may remember, um, about his vegan uh, cooking book by $2 Radio. But Jim, can you tell our listeners what was going on uh in this place where we met on this particular uh floor of this kind of three-story um club in downtown seattle well i was really excited to get to spend some time uh with my publisher tyson cornell and tyson 
um, was kind of on a mission to get everybody that he came into contact with to take advantage of one of the free tattoos that were being given away mm-hmm. um, on that floor. I think that's what you're referring to. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I have a lot of tattoos um, and maybe even too many tattoos, but mm-hmm. I was not going to get a free tattoo at a booksellers conference on the second floor of a bar. And uh, I suspect, I suspect there are many 20 something booksellers who were a little um, maybe had some regrets the next day. Yeah. Like three floors of open bars plus free tattoos. What could possibly go wrong? Right. Right. I mean, they weren't Gigi Allen quality tattoos, <laughs> uh, but you know, yeah. Not my style. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, thank you, Jim. Uh, before we dive into your new book real quick, um, I'd like for you to take a moment, if you could, to plug your newsletter so our listeners can uh, sign up, please. Oh, sure thing. Yeah, I have a, a weekly newsletter. It comes out every Wednesday. It's called Message from the Underworld, named after the great weirdo song. Mm-hmm. And it's it's where I talk about my projects, but also um, you know, where I'm traveling, what I'm reading, what I'm listening to and uh and all the stuff that's coming that's in the pipeline and uh and i'm going to be working on and be able to share with soon so uh, i do that every wednesday i love doing it and uh it's a nice little community of people at that intersection of music and books yeah and if you're a fan uh and listener of this podcast you will undoubtedly uh, love this newsletter so check it out folks um well thank you jim um I'm hoping now you can take a few moments to set up your new novel, uh, Make It Stop, for our listeners. Sure thing, Jason. Uh, Make It Stop is a crime novel Mm. uh, in a near future L.A. And in this world, if you don't pay your hospital bills, you don't get to leave. Mm. Uh, So in this kind of dystopian uh, healthcare run amok setting, the heroes of the story are this group of dysfunctional vigilantes who are known as Make It Stop uh, or MIS when they want to sound really official and secretive. And what they do is they go into rehab facilities and detox wards and they bust people out of these prison hospitals. Uh, And so that's pretty much the whole setup. And when we meet the hero of the book, Melanie, she, we meet her on a very bad day for her and for the organization. So shit's hitting the fan as my friend Keith would say. (laughs) absolutely thank you so much jim more about make it stop in a moment but first listeners we're going to take a second here to pause for a word from our sponsors and then i will be right back with jim ruland The Book and Podcast would like to thank Libro.fm Audiobooks for their sponsorship. Libro.fm has the same audiobooks at the same prices as their major competitor. You know the name. But instead of supporting the Big River, you'll be supporting your favorite neighborhood bookstores. Please head on over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore explore booksellers in the process i'm back with jim ruland author of make it stop which is published by our friends at rare bird jim what is the difference between an underground vigilante organization and a cult Ooh, that's a good question well um 
one of the things that the novel deals with is uh, sobriety, recovery, addiction, and battling those demons. Um, I call it a dysfunctional vigilante group because, you know, they specialize in getting people out of detox facilities and things of that nature. And, and they're all drunks and recovering addicts and things and things like that. So um, they're good at it because those are their people, but they're also a wreck and on the verge of relapse. And I don't think it's a spoiler since uh, the book starts off with Melanie drinking, uh, you know, polishing off some vodka before she busts into a rehab facility, but she's got her own demons as well. Mm-hmm. And if you've been in any kind of recovery circle, um, it doesn't take too long. Uh, for someone to either joke or it or to accuse it of being a little culty mm-hmm. uh, and and i think that's definitely the case when you have people who are um really at the end of their rope and don't know what else to do they kind of throw throw everything into um the project of, of recovery so i think in terms of like the, the you know this particular vigilante group it kind of is driven by a personality, you know, much like uh, Project Mayhem in the Fight mm-hmm. Club. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's also a good question. Is that a cult? Is that the cult of Tyler Durden? Mm-hmm. Um, or do they have like a really interesting um, ideological premise for the mayhem that they sought to unleash on the public? Uh, personally, I think that that's the most interesting thing about that movie is Project Mayhem. Mm-hmm. And that if, 9-11 hadn't happened just a couple of years after the release of Fight Club that Project Mayhem might have might have gotten off the ground in a more realistic way. But uh, suddenly uh, the idea of blowing things up became very uh, uncool to talk about on the Internet. Yeah, absolutely. And listeners, um, Chuck Polinick, Gother Fight Club, has been on a past episode of this podcast. Go uh, check that one out in the archives. He's a really cool guy. Uh, does a lot to support independent bookstores. Um, speaking of cults, Jim, there's a lot of interest in cults right now. A lot of books, fiction, nonfiction, television series, documentary series, etc., coming out about cults. Um, why, in your opinion, do you think people are so interested in this topic right now? Or have they always been? And that's why cults are cults. Well, I mean, you're talking to someone in Southern California where it, you know, where, I mean, I know we didn't invent cults, but we're constantly reinventing them, right? And uh, especially here in San Diego, where, uh, well, actually, uh, yeah, not too far from uh, um, the Heaven's Gate, mm. people, um, you know, set up camp here mm-hmm. uh, in, in the northern part of San Diego County. So I, I think there's always been an appeal. Um, I think, you know, I grew up Catholic and I wrestled that with that on and off for most of my life and usually going somewhere between hardcore atheist and more mellow agnostic. And for me, you know, I'm a recovering alcoholic and in my own sobriety, I knew I needed to, you know, get over my issue with God because there's so much religiosity in recovery, especially in AA. You're going to church basements, you know, for, for that kind of thing. Even if it's a mostly secular thing, there's still prayers. There's still a lot of, a lot of God talk, mm-hmm. a lot of higher power stuff. So um, I think that, you know, everyone, you know, is looking for some kind of story to explain the things in their lives that they, that they don't 
um, understand and that mm-hmm. they want to understand. And a lot of people like me um, were, you know, just have rejected religion early in their lives and are searching for something else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you, Jim. Congratulations on your sobriety, by the way. And now I uh, understand how you got out of that place without one of the free tattoos. It's all clear. <laughs> um, a, little clear a little clear thinking, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I'm interested, Jim, in the hospital in your book. And more narrowly, I'm interested in their payment system. Um, if a patient cannot pay their bill, they cannot go home. Uh, can you explain this system to us, Jim? It seems a bit counterintuitive to me, but I know our listeners are eager to learn more. Okay. So um, so I was reading the LA Times a long, long time ago, and there was this article about this maternity hospital in Nigeria where the women who had given birth to children were being held uh, hostage, basically. They were a ransom that they had. They had to pay their bills before they would be able to leave with their children. Mm. But, you know, wow, what a horrible situation. That could never happen in the United States. And, um, of course, I started thinking, well, could it? You know, actually, I can see certain scenarios where it could. Mm. And... The premise in the book, it's called conditional release, and that when you go into a, uh, a rehab facility or a detox unit, you, you have to sign these papers for conditional release, um, which is maybe, you know, I'm also a military veteran, and I got in a lot of trouble, so um, the language of having your liberty restricted is pretty familiar to me, uh-huh. uh, so, um, so I came up with that term of conditional release, and it just seems natural to me that you know, as healthcare becomes more and more corporate and more driven by the bottom line and less about a desire to actually help people, that uh, the people who are going to pay the stiffest price and the people who will have the most severe outcomes are the people who are most vulnerable in our society. And who's more vulnerable um, than an addict or someone who is undergoing a mental health crisis? Or someone who has brain health issues um, and chronic, you know, behavior problems because of that. Um, those are the people who are are going to suffer the most, and those are the people who um, they're so vulnerable because a lot of people uh, don't care. Uh, a lot of uh, affluent and wealth people, wealthy people, you know, consider them, you know, more like a cosmetic problem on the city. Not, you know, they don't like looking at at homeless people and emotionally disturbed people. And people who are struggling. Um, so I, I think that's where a lot of those those things all come together in this very um, dark, dystopian view of healthcare. Yeah, thanks. And it makes sense that it was inspired by a hospital in Nigeria because I was thinking, in a, you know, in capitalist America, this would never fly. Um, but yeah, <laughs> thank you so much. Um, speaking ca- of capitalist America, uh, near the beginning of your novel, Make It Stops, office is in a mall that is said to bring back memories of 80s mall culture. Um, I recently interviewed an author who, inspired by one of the earlier seasons of Stranger Things, uh, wrote a history of the shopping mall that was very well received by critics and readers alike. Um, What happened to mall culture, Jim, and do you think it will ever come back? Uh, Why or why not? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, it's um, it, it kind of comes and goes in waves. Mm-hmm. You know, there's you know, there's two malls near me where I like to go see movies. 
and the one that has the reclining seats is uh kind of like a california mall where everything is outdoors and connected by um you know ramps and staircases and escalators but it's all outdoors and that place is a ghost town mm -hmm. and a good bit of it was converted into like it was so empty that some of the stores were converted into like you know covid treatment centers and um vaccination centers you know during the during the lockdown mm -hmm. and the other mall i go to near my house is packed all the time mm. I mean, and it's more of a traditional mall with like a bunch of stores on one floor and a wing with another and then a massive food court with a movie on the other end and you cannot find parking in this place you know um it's it's incredible so i mean who's to say i think it just has to do with uh um you know the neighborhood and what's what's on offer and and things of that nature um personally i i kind of like malls because I, you know being a kid who grew up in the 80s i thought they were cool mm -hmm. and um and growing up on the east coast and moving to, to um to the west coast i was really charmed by the fact that i was in the sherman oaks galleria which is you know been in a number of movies and um you know played such a, a large part in uh the whole valley girl um conversation you know of the mid 80s when i was in high school so um i actually uh for a brief period worked in an office um in um on the fourth floor of the bank building um where some terrible things happen later in the book so i, I just decided to set you know mis headquarters in the in the office where i worked because i thought it was cool yeah thanks jim um as an aside you know um in the the part of the east coast that i was from where mall culture is kind of dying you know i have these memories growing up going to malls going to like camelot music and um going to all the listening stations and hearing all of the new albums that were coming out and really discovering music just by flipping through their whole selection and seeing what was on offer you know discovering that william burroughs recorded something with kurt cobain because they had this weird disc uh, etc um and now you know i guess um kids are just discovering music via Spotify and algorithms and things of that nature. Um, how do you think that this is going to um, influence how, you know, new generations of, of human beings are discovering and listening to music that they can't go to these record stores and suburban shopping malls? Well, it's really hard to say because there's like the Gen Xer in me um, that really misses a lot of that tactile media. You know, I grew up with zines and, you know, records, then tapes, and then CDs, and, uh, you know, had some of that weariness of things constantly changing and having to, you know, replace gear. Um, and and I know it's also a worse deal for musicians, you know, the streaming income being just terrible, mm -hmm. that the only way to make money as a band is to get out on the road and to sell tickets and t-shirts, uh, which is a real shame, unless you're like one of the megastars. Mm -hmm. But I also look at, you know, like uh, I have a teenage daughter who's in college and the access to the music that she has and how, you know, um, her playlist, you know, is from all over the place. And she has multiple playlists for different kinds of music. Um, whereas I remember as a kid listening to Casey Kasem's case from Countdown the Top 40 right. and, writing, and writing down the songs and trying to decide, you know, which ones I might want to seek out. 
um, not to destroy my punk rock credibility, but I was a very big Village People fan, and I owned all of their LPs mm -hmm. uh, at one point, which uh, I caught a lot of flack for from my siblings. But the point being is that like there's so much information that um, I think things are going to be like more and more um, niche. You know, just people kind of siloing into the things that they really like because they can find other people who like them too. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, but I also think that if you really want to know, you should probably talk to my daughter or, <laughs> or your kid because you know I'm 50 years old. I don't fucking know what what's what's <laughs> going. You know, I'm just mm -hmm. trying to hang on and uh, you know adapt to the things that make sense to it. Ignore the rest of it. Absolutely, good advice. Thank you so much, Jim. Um, finally, I want to ask you about a line from your novel, which is quote, "Make it stop is your family." but it shouldn't be your world, end quote. Um, and a friend uh, of mine recently posted on social media that if anyone ever tells you that a workplace or similar environment is like a family, to turn around and run. Um, <laughs> what do you think, Jim, about workplaces, organizations, et cetera, who advertise themselves as like a family? Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I hadn't really thought about it in terms of a, of a workplace. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it has to do um, with the camaraderie around um, recovery places and people that recover together. Mm -hmm. um, because lots of times those people don't have a family to turn back on, turn back to or because they've been spurned by their family because of all the pain that they've caused. Mm -hmm. uh, because of their disease um i i think i kind of agree in that um you know i've worked in a lot of different scenarios and you when you're in your 20s it's kind of fun to mm -hmm. hang out with your friends uh after work and you know to have those lines blur and um to meet your co-workers friends and to all hang out together but um once you get older and have a family you really of your own you don't want to see those people after work. You don't want to go to happy hour anymore. You don't want to spend any more time than you really have to, um, un unless you unless you're genuinely friends, and that usually has nothing to do with work. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think that's probably good advice. You know, if there's if you're in a job interview, says like we're like a family here to, you know, head for the exit. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jim. And thank you for uh, coming on to the show and giving me the opportunity to read this wonderful novel. I can't wait to put it uh, in our listeners and our customers at Explore Booksellers' hands. Listeners, I've been speaking with Jim Rulin, author of Make It Stop, which is published by our friends at Rare Bird. Jim, thank you so much for joining me. You're very welcome. And thank you for having me. Once again, I would like to thank Jim Rulin for joining me. Copies of Make It Stop can be ordered from www.explorebooksellers.com with free shipping for members of Explore More Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsors, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jefferies, and this has been Booking.